Welcome to another edition of the Bob and Zip Show with Ed Kelly. And today we welcome Drew Lane of the Drew and Mike Show, which is a podcast which I'm going to recommend. You should stop listening to my podcasts and, and start listening to that one uh, because Drew is spectacular. He he was the morning show host at WRIF in Detroit for 22 years with his partner, Mike. And uh, he also co-hosted with Zip on several uh, cities. <laughs> Three, <laughs> three different cities, and even additionally to that, uh, I mean, I could do, I could say so much about Drew for so long, and it'll, it'll work its way into the conversation. Drew replaced me in, I believe, 1986 or 1987 as Zip's co-host in Boston at WAAF, September 87, and I remember it well because I was very nervous about it because when I worked at uh, WROV in Roanoke, I had we had the American Comedy Network. And it seemed like every week there was a new parody from Bob and Zip. And there was the AT&T breakup parody, which was a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the name of that? Uh, that was called Breaking Up is Hard on You. Uh, it was a Neil Sadaka thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, charted, it was, by the way. Good it charted, charted on the Billboard Hot 100. It got to number 69, ironically. And really? then it turned around and, uh, and went in the other direction. Was, was that your highest charting parody? Uh, on the Billboard Hot 100, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was a big deal. And, and I was very, you know, I, I'd heard the names Bob and Zip quite a bit. And then I went to Charlotte, which I was paid $35,000 a year to go from, let's see, 270 a week to 35000 I was like, oh, my God, $35,000. Holy shit. And I was so excited to be in Charlotte. And I still, we had the American Comedy Network, and we heard a lot about your parodies. And when Bob was leaving WAAF and and I applied. I just sent a tape and thinking, oh, nothing will happen. Cindy Slater called me and all of a sudden I was a pretty good candidate to work with Zip. And I was really excited and and kind of intimidated by the whole thing because you guys had, you know, you really got a lot of attention. You guys were great self-promoters. And so it ended up. <laughs> Come on, Zip. Don't don't just smile and chuckle. Say what you think. Okay. Let him continue. Oh, oh. Well, are you not Let me hear the setup? Never it's... never interrupt someone praising you. Keep going. Someone between you two was a good self promoter. You were. You're... <laughs> you shouldn't argue with me about that. Anyway. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Garfunkel. I'm that I did all the self promotion. <laughs> So suddenly, Bob is at WIYY. I get the job. I come in and I get this story about, well, yeah, we were going to go together and then we we're going to go to KZAP in Sacramento. Great job. Uh, no cut deal, a lot of money. And then what happened? I, I'm not sure I really know what happened. I think I know, but. This is Zip story. <laughs> it's one, one in many business decisions I've grown to. Uh, not look back at fondly, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, no, I don't want to get into the, that negative, uh, stuff, but it was, uh, why, why it to be negative. I mean, it's not negative. I, I'll get into it. First off, let me say this. <laughs> this whole show is about zip. It has nothing to do with me. Oh, yeah, I, right. uh, and, and I think Drew, you'll know, you'll understand this when zip and I, first off, when I got to WAF, I was the interim fill in host for mornings. I was not good enough to do the job. I worked with Lana Jones, who was a wonderful uh, news broadcaster, who went on to television. Hey, she rest in peace, by the way. She passed away. I was going to say that, but uh, uh, yes. And she, um, she and I did not. I, I mean, I wanted to be a goofy morning guy, and she wanted to do serious news. So there was no, uh, lots of admiration, no chemistry there. 
anyway, when Zip came along, I had worked with him in New Hampshire at a radio station run by a drug addict. Uh, we were all comfortable <laughs> together. And um, <laughs> he's also dead. Yeah. Who also he passed away, too. So uh, and and when Zip came in, we had this chemistry. There was something about Zip to this day. Zip is my muse. Zip is the guy where I came alive, first of all, because he laughed at my jokes. Uh, <laughs> that helps. Obvious. But also he has, he has an intellectual sensibility about him. You can see it on his face. Sometimes he doesn't <laughs> say it out loud. Uh, but he, he, he just, I don't know, that something happened between the two of us. We did bits together. We had a, a show that just got ridiculously uh, powerful at WAAF. And when I left, because I know you're asking the story, why we didn't leave yeah. together. The thing about the two of us is that we were both uh, expert practicing alcoholics in so many, <laughs> in so many ways. And, and not just alcohol, too. Um, <laughs> well, I would have thought you would have gone together then. Why not stay together in a, a safe environment where you're with another, another boozer? That was my plan because I was so codependent on Zip. And now, Zip, you have to tell your side of the story. Well, no, I I was misled, I believe, uh, by management uh, just a little. And, uh, and you it's know, not I, had me, built up, yeah. I had built up all these relationships and, you know, in the area and a lot of good clients. And I was it was comfortable. And uh, they laid a, a story on me that uh, didn't actually come to fruition, shall we say. Oh, okay. And so WAAF begged you to stay. Yes, in an attempt to keep, on, quite honestly, I mean, I'll say the both of us together, but they were really, I think, focused on hanging on to Bob. Uh, just, you know, for whatever, for many reasons, actually. So it's then so why did you take the pitch and Bob didn't? Because you wanted to stay. You're a New England guy. Well, uh, to clarify, Bob had the IYY thing in his back pocket, which I knew nothing about, which Ooh. really wouldn't have made a difference anyway. I see. Everything and I have is in my front pocket, Zip. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you have to ask. Um, so, so here's what happens. And I'm going to tell a little detail on this story. And Zip, by the way, you can tell Zip doesn't want to say something. When his voice goes up a little bit, you know that. <laughs> so uh, we were, we had airline tickets to go out to Sacramento to meet with a nationwide manager of KZAP. Um, and um, I think it was the day before the flight that Zip said, I, I can't go. I'm not going to go. And I said, but they're expecting to see Bob and Zip. And he had a girlfriend at the time, oh. as, as he always does, a very hot girlfriend. Oh, oh Drew I mean, is aware of that. <laughs> yeah. The idea of leaving those tatas for any major market, for any, any amount of money. I mean, you remember, right? I, we're not going to call out all the names here, but uh, I was like, yeah, I'd probably stay. Anyway, so I get on the plane without Zip. Oh. Jesus. And oh. I'm embarrassed because I'm landing without Zip. Mm -hmm. and, and I, and you know, I, back in those days, I used to lie as much as I could. Uh, and, and, and so I was trying to figure out some excuse and, you know, um, I said, I'm not sure if he wants to come or maybe he wasn't feeling well. I can't even remember <laughs> all the various scenarios, but I met the GM and he took me for a tour. And by the way, Zip wrong station, wrong GM, wrong time. Sacramento would have been a disaster for both of us. 
uh, because at that time, Nationwide was this, it's owned by an insurance company at the time. Uh, and it was a fine broadcasting company, somewhat conservative. Uh, you know, the, no manager would not be in a suit and a tie. No salesperson would not be dressed as if working for a Fortune 500 company. And it was a rock station and very successful. But also, can I say this about Sacramento? On the bottom of my list of places that would be cool to live. Yeah, Boston was, uh, it was so cool to live in Boston to do the yes. music awards and Aerosmith's there. And yes. Aerosmith comes into Chuck Nolan's bar and grill. And yes. Annalise's got Lou Reed coming in. She's got a countdown for 40 days or whatever. And by the way, he was a big disappointment. One word. <laughs> I think she was crushed by it. And she's at WXRT in Chicago, by the way. What, what a pile of talent yeah. at radio yeah. station. Oh, yes, the whole station to this day. And so Zip made the right call not coming. And I didn't take that job. And it was a while later. More offers came in. Uh, we were, uh, and, and we should tell this part of the story. There was a big radio station in Boston, WBCN. Morning mm. show host Charles Lacodera, PD Oedipus. And Oedipus, uh, and I've heard this secondhand, I didn't hear it from him uh, personally, basically said, get those guys off that radio station. Get them out of here. So that's why I was getting these calls. I got a call from uh, it was a station in Atlanta. It was a KSL, three-letter rock station. I got a call from KZAP. I got a call from uh, Baltimore. And it was KLOS, all, too. K oh, 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 we were interviewed for the Mark and Brian job, by the way. I tell you, when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not, yeah. you're not. <laughs> well, we were not hot in that interview, uh, and we were not hot when we showed up tongue over the next morning because they never even called us back after the interview. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's a shame. I, I'm glad to hear. See, I heard that uh, that Zip didn't show up for a meeting, and I got the impression there was an actual meeting, but he didn't show up for a flight. So that's <laughs> the flight. Yeah. Well, the flight to the meeting. So, okay. uh, by the way, when stories get told about you and exaggerated, it's almost fun to leave them exaggerated yeah because I, the story I, about me in seattle is that i showed up naked and coked out of my mind at uh at the radio station yeah i think i did i heard it was a bed and breakfast <laughs> i did hear that story <laughs> i most recently heard it with a bunch of broadcast execs and i was visiting them in nashville and they were like what about that? what about that thing and i was like you know parts of it are true um but the actual true story, like it's in my bio now because of this, uh, you know, radio uh, nomination to the Radio Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, and like, my friend who was writing the bio, he said uh, he wrote naked and coked out of his mind at the station. And I went, should I correct that? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask if you were naked? Uh, well, all of us are naked at some, some point or another. So here's do you want to know the true story? Yeah, well, I just want to know if you were naked. I'm not demanding the whole thing. That's all. And even that, I'm not sure why. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, That's enough of a story already. That I mean, the Coke part, I assume there's some substance involved. <laughs> uh, this involves actually hitting bottom and going into treatment. Okay. Uh, which happened coincidentally right with my arrival at KISW. Oh, I, I didn't know that. And it was that close? It was, oh no, it was within weeks. And, um, and, and what it was, was um, it was the marijuana on the West Coast. These, if, you're, if you're eligible for psychosis, 
you know, yeah. and again, when we used to smoke it back in the day, and maybe used to, maybe you're on it now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, back then it was weak stuff, and it just yeah. gave you a little bit of a buzz. Um, I sort of flipped out on this stuff, and I was having all kinds of problems. Uh, my wife and I had separated temporarily because uh, I was kind of crazy. I had this huge ego, which is ironically the title of Bob and Zip's big, huge video. That was on MTV. <laughs> <laughs> and big ego. And I arrived there to an unfriendly radio station. You see, when I got to KISW and Zip is right to be concerned. Anytime you jump from market to market, you take a, you take a tremendous risk. Oh yeah. Um, it's like opening a new restaurant. You know, the failure rate is pretty high. And so when I got there, every single person at that radio station had been told they weren't getting raises because we hired this morning guy. Well, that's a good way to do business. Yeah. I was the sixth morning show to be on that radio station in a year and a half. So that's like being Spinal Tap's drummer. Um, can I ask how, so you were off the ground when this incident occurred, you'd been on the air a few weeks. I'd been on the air maybe a few weeks, uh, and it was not going well. And, um, honestly, I missed my partner and muse and, and, and best friend zip zip fell. I missed him terribly. I, I literally went for the money and left my friend behind. That's how I felt. Um, and by the way, he, he felt that way too. <laughs> well, a number of years. Yeah, yeah. been in Detroit with me for 22 years too. I mean, uh, I know, I know. I'm I know. sorry. I hate to say it, but I just want to say it because talent-wise and personality-wise, you are great to work with for Bob. And I felt the same way when you were on your game. There was nobody better, and so it's just like it. It could have. It could have easily been. It wasn't a question. The fact that it happened without you, it, you know, was all good and well. It was good for Mike. Yeah. But the three of us were working together very well. Yeah. yeah. At times, yeah. we were working great together. There is a theme here because I managed to put together a show, but to replace Zip, I had to surround myself with seven different people who <laughs> fulfilled various aspects of that, that magic, that chemistry. And, and Zip and I do a show now every Saturday on 100 FM The Pike in Worcester, and seriously from the moment we crack the mic it's like we're the smothers brothers we just sort of look at each other funny and uh and whatever we're talking about it's like he makes me great and he is intellectually curious but also zip has this careful thing about him that's it, like <laughs> doesn't like to take a stand yeah he doesn't like to take a stand <laughs> but, but he, he has one uh, and and it's usually out of kindness and love, which is it's, it's so few clicks these days um, that he's still like my best friend and one of the best people I know. So uh, naked, by the way, this is how you take the word naked and you get a quarter out or a listening out. <laughs> Can I make a quick comment, um, please? When I came back from Detroit, uh, Greg Hill called me. Okay. And was working at AAF. And he says, you man, he says, you know, I, I, I got to get in a bigger market. Got to be in a bigger market. Got to be in a bigger market. I said, man, stay where you are. Build up some relationships with your, you know, clients. And, you know, hang in there, man. You know, your perceived value is, is what it's all about. And I rest my case. He did yeah. take that advice. And he's still doing our morning show, Drew. 
Yeah. In Boston. Yeah. Yeah. He, he followed me with Ruby cheeks yep. on AF and then Ruby disappeared and Greg had this great, great run and he's on, is it EEI now? I believe. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 When they sold WAAF to the uh, Christian uh, group, I forget what it's called. Uh, and, and it went all God all the time, which uh, Ozzy would be spinning in his grave, except for the strange fact that he's still alive. Um, and then, in another twist of irony, the yeah. morning guy ends up being our producer in Phoenix, uh, Skip Mahaffey. Yeah, that's right. That's um, so they they moved Greg Hill because of his, you know, a successful morning show is is bankable, uh, and they moved him to the sports station where they still thrive. So uh, anyway, back to nudity. <laughs> I want to know how you survived that, Bob, because you said you got off to a bad start. Then the, this this horrible, uh, you know, bottom out happens. It seems like at that time in particular, it would have been really easy to say, okay, this is a debacle. Bye, Bob. Here's a, a little cash to to go away on and you can find your way. But they stuck with you for some reason. Yeah, they did. And uh, so here's what happened. I was basically going through a kind of a bottom nervous breakdown, not uh, not getting anything out of work because I hadn't built up any chemistry yet. And um and my wife and I were, were squabbling in a sense. We had a brief uh, separation. And during that time, one of the salespeople said, I know of this bed and breakfast you can stay at. And, uh, and he brought me to this. It was not an Airbnb. This was long before the Internet. But he brought me to this bed and breakfast. And I was the only guest. And there was a caretaker there. It was in Pike Place Market. If you've ever been a tourist in Seattle, you know, that's like an ex it's like Faneuil Hall in Boston. It's a beautiful spot with all kinds of character and strange people, too. Uh, a very good people watching place. Big tourist attraction. Anyway, I'm in this little historical bed and breakfast. And the person who was running it, you know, I was clearly there to just sort of chill out. Um, I had stopped doing anything to get high. Uh, and I never did anything uh, harsh after Baltimore, actually. Baltimore was the party town. Uh, and I had maybe had a little pot. But what happened is I started to, and no no alcohol, removing self-medication. And anybody who's been through the 12-step program uh, or knows somebody intimately that has done this, when you remove your self-medicating, that is real pain. And uh, what happened is I stopped sleeping. So for about three or four days in a row, I can only sleep for maybe 90 minutes. And then go in and try and do the morning show. Oh boy! Well, no wonder the show wasn't going well. Uh, uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so, uh, it, I, I mean, I had partners. I had a spike that I brought from Baltimore, and uh, and an amazing guy named Sean Donahue, who's the son of the late great Tom Donahue, who's considered the father of uh, album rock radio from San Francisco. If you know any of your radio history. Uh huh. And so, you know, even though it wasn't going well, it was mostly, you know, I was experiencing this difficulty. And so when I got to this place, it was empty all day. And uh, and I had this little room. Well, one morning I woke up. The nudity is on its way. I woke up. <laughs> no one was at the place. And it had this great room right outside my door with a massive picture window that you could see the Pike Place Market. And you could see the Olympic mountains. <laughs> Except those were this. 
<laughs> He's just shaking his head. Um, and I walked out in my birthday suit and walked up to the window and quite literally said a prayer. Um, even a raised Roman Catholic, not a good person that practices it a lot, but uh, something about priest pedophiles turned me off. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so I'm one of those disgruntled Catholics. Um, so I, I go up to the window and I just look at the, and there's beams of sunlight and beautiful skies. And I'm standing there in the all together, completely in my birthday suit, <laughs> saying a little prayer. And all of a sudden, the caretaker of the bed and breakfast opens the door behind me and walks in. <laughs> Does he know you're doing the morning show at KSW? It was a she, unfortunately. And <laughs> sorry. And of course she did. She did. And so and and you know that oh, uh, that uh, Winston Churchill expression, um, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on. I, I I've heard it before. <laughs> you read. I know. We're at a disadvantage. So um that story, uh, and by the way, after that, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I went in my room and I, I dressed up and she said, are you okay? I said, not really. I got a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, she, said, well, she was, she seemed like very kind and nice. And she said, well, let's take a walk. You could use a walk. And I go outside and we're walking. And as we walk by, and there's tons of homeless people. That's something about Seattle that hasn't changed since 1989. And at one point, this homeless guy comes up and he's talking to me and I'm, you know, I'm very low on sleep, but I thought this guy seems real nice. And I reached in my pocket and I gave him a $20 bill. And so it became Bob's walking naked through Pike place, handing out money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and by the way, all this precipitated my, uh, 12 step group and my, um, I actually checked into, uh, a place for a week and nationwide insurance owned this radio station. And so insurance companies aren't great at rock and roll and parties, and, uh, but, but they understand illness and recovery. And they said, we'll stand behind him because if this works and he gets sober, then he'll be a better morning show, even than the one we hired. And that was a blessing. So Bob, is that the first time you told this story? It's the first time I publicly told this story. Okay, I I, I wondered. Um, w were police involved? <laughs> I really don't know. I'm asking. Well, no. It was. It's funny. It was one person inside a, a, that walked in on. So, so there was really. I don't, I mean, Zip. What do you think? Is this a police matter? <laughs> Speaking from personal experience, I can see where a discerning officer may see the humanitarian yeah. side well, of it. If it's on your Wikipedia page, I, I just would figure it must have been something. I, I, I just realized, too, that Zip is the one who told me whatever I knew, which wasn't much. I just knew that you had really, you know, something had gone horribly, horribly wrong. You were off the air. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I knew, you were on the air and you guys were talking before our show, which was funny, even after the whole KZAP thing, which was, I thought, oh, well, that's the end of that friendship, or, you know, it's a total disaster. Uh, you guys started communicating when we were on AAF and you were in Baltimore. And I thought, well, that's weird yeah. that they're networking. And I was kind of like, why is he talking to Bob? Is it trying to get out of here? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but then we get a great parody song and be, well, that's okay. <laughs> we're, sharing, we're sharing bits. Zip, uh, please comment on this, Zip. 
Oh, no, no. When did you I, start I hating me and how many years did it last is what he's trying to get to, right? No, Zip was not. I don't think Zip was uh, acted hateful. It's just that something had splintered. I mean, the fact is you weren't working together was enough. But then what little I knew about the Sacramento thing was that somebody didn't show up somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then you guys weren't really talking. And then all of a sudden you were, you were networking and friendly. And, and, and I even would get in the conversation occasionally and were lots of laughs and everything seemed fine. And the same thing in Phoenix when you guys would talk in the morning and it was usually to share an idea about the show for the day. Can I ask how much you're charging per hour for this session? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was interesting on my end. I just didn't yeah. know. Is Zip trying to? Uh, is Zip trying to get away? Is he? I mean, because you know, in radio, there's always those behind the scenes. Oh yeah, yeah. Making and and you guys were formidable as a team, so it was something I had to be concerned about. You know, I I'd, I'd be lying if I said that alcohol didn't play a part in bad decisions, certainly on my part, and also gave a lot of credence to whatever type of broadcast management went on to show me the door. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think a lot of that, my anger and resentment, not to go 12 step on you. Uh, it took quite a while to dissipate. So a, a lot of that was on me. And yeah, it truly was. Well, you know, zip, when I got to WAF, Cindy Slater was the program director. Cindy's great. Uh, I loved her. I thought she was one of the best program directors. I too. Yeah. Maybe the best, um, which is interesting. I'd never worked for a female as a PD before and she was so good. And I, I loved her husband, Michael too still do. And uh, Cindy was kind of indicating that, you know, there may be a problem with Zip. Zip might not make it. And I was kind of like, what are you talking about? Because Zip was performing fabulously when I got there, when we started together. No, you were. You were killing it. But there was some damage that apparently could not be undone. And I couldn't understand it for the life of me. Like, what? Are you kidding me? And then you left. And then Karen left a year later and you came back and you came back full force, a hundred percent. I remember you did all those, you took all these IDs that bands had done and we slipped you in there. Like, you know, Hey, this is, this is Mick. This is Keith. Oh, zip here. You know, and it was, it, it was that you had been filling in in bands, you know, and the IDs, the IDs were perfectly EQ'd too. You sounded like you're in the room with these guys. They were hilarious. It was the dumbest, stupid. It was just a really stupid, funny bit, but you came back full force and we were rocking it and that's what got us the job in phoenix was you would you were tearing it up again and um it was just so strange that that interim thing happened because you never were not performing well at af but something when you and bob split up and you had a something going on with your girlfriend which yeah yeah but again i i kind of go back to that term perception you know uh Especially, you know, there's safety in numbers, I would say, in morning show. Amen. Correct? Yeah. You know? Sure. And I think that was a big a big part of it, perceptually. And I don't know individuals, and it's it's many years past. Uh, but that's 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 how I felt uh, upon the dismissal from AAF. And, and was thrilled and to come back and even more thrilled to go to beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. Sip, <laughs> to, to your point, Sip, uh, that this is a common thing. And in a morning show, we're like a family and we all have each other's back. And if someone's going through a difficult time, I, I mean, uh, look at the Stern show where, you know, heroin addiction was a part of it. We, for that, for that three hours or four hours that you're in your family, it's the best 
at least throughout my whole career, it's the best four hours of your day and you're, you're at your best. And so it's funny. I, I was jealous that you had zip. I missed him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. Every day. So the to the point where when I retired, you know, Zip and I started doing a weekend show and we've been doing it for eight years now. And I was kind of jealous, too. I was like, oh, fuck, he's doing a show with Bob. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is funny. My 25 year anniversary in Detroit came up and I wasn't at WRIF anymore. I wasn't even on the radio. I just started this podcast six months earlier and I thought I should have Zip on. And so Zip and I talked for the first time in eons. And when you said, yeah, let's do it, I wasn't nervous for a second. We did the show. The show was really funny. It went by mm. so fast. And so many people said, wow, you guys are great together. And I thought, that's that's incredible. We've barely spoken in a couple of decades. And the show was great. The st of course, we had great stories to tell, most of them about yes, disasters <laughs> in Boston. But, but it was a really fun show. Very self-deprecating, I must admit. Yes. Speaking of self-deprecating... Let's bring in a Detroit guy uh, and talk a little bit about you, because Drew Lane, you are our guest. And uh, uh, I find it fascinating, uh, your career and, and have to, t you know, without too much bootlicking, uh, because telling stories is more fun. I, I do have to say that a huge part of my recovery in Seattle was getting tapes of the Drew Lane show over the years. And we uh, we basically traded twisted tunes sure for air checks and i have always listened to air checks of great radio people uh as inspiration this is ed kelly joining us by the way a huge drew and mike fan a detroit hey. a detroit lifer and you know ed one of the great voice sure. chameleons of of the entire industry anyway welcome ed thank you drew uh, who <laughs> um, you were at the American Comedy Network when Bob and Zip were doing their parodies at AAF. Were you not doing voices then too? I I was. You were okay. Yeah, I also I don't know if you guys recall this or not, but I actually called you and Zip. I, were you on AAF together in the yes. late? Yeah. Yes. We did cross country party check from London, Ontario, and used to call you guys because it was a guaranteed smash into the into the seats. <laughs> um i i were you doing you were doing voices weren't you i was doing mornings but it was, i'm sure there was, was some voices at, by, involved i by don't the know way, by the way you don't mind if i do some self-deprecating on you uh, ed yeah drew's show was so big he doesn't remember that you were a direct competitor <laughs> <laughs> well oh speaking of before no your show in in detroit is as big and legendary and long-running 22 years as as any and i would get tapes of you and um your conversational style also your energy uh but you used to do something hardly any rock talk morning shows would do is you would read books about interesting people and then you would retell the stories um and you know we'd reached the time where no one thought that books were important at all uh but your ability to narrate um, stories still to this day on your podcast is amongst the best I've ever heard. Second so, uh, so I was, uh, I was listening to you and learning from you. Then zip got, you know, got not with you. I'm not going to say canned or whatever. He just got not with you. <laughs> they broke <laughs> up with you. That's very kind. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I've lost three jobs too. So, uh, <laughs> and I've been, I've been shown the door so many times, uh, all of them prior to being sober. If that's a hint. 
So anyway, uh, uh, Zip at, at one point after that showed up at my house because he was going to put a tape together. And, um, and and we were headed out on vacation. I said, take my recording studio, put a tape together. And when I came back, he had left <laughs> chasing another girlfriend. I don't know. And, <laughs> and can I say, can I tell what I found in the driveway? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> This is post Betty Ford. Remember, Drew, yeah. I left Detroit yeah. and, yeah. and lying. Was, and I was like worried about him. I hope he isn't, you know, because I've been through mental health issues myself. I was worried about him. You know, by now I understood we were brothers in this, um, you know, dependence thing of alcoholism and and sitting in my driveway glinting in the sunlight was a betty ford sobriety coin and i was just just checking into betty Ford. hey hey i was like oh shit now i'm worried about him i should have canceled may i say i don't recall that i honestly do not well senator wow (laughs) this wasn't something you intentionally dropped in the driveway it just fell out of your pocket (laughs) or was it Fired at the ground, spiked like <laughs> it was like fuck you, Bob, and your <laughs> vacation and your coin. And so there were years, Drew. <laughs> we're gonna talk more about you, Drew, but we're gonna work this in, obviously, because you're a kind soul. Um, there were years, Drew, where Zip didn't return my calls, maybe a decade or more. Uh, <laughs> and I said, Hold my calls. But you kept kicking ass in Detroit. And one of my great joys uh, always in radio has been not just to make the Twisted Tunes, but that someone, you know, would care about them who was huge. And Scott Shannon played him. Rick Dees played him. They all made up phony names like that's the Scott Shannon morning chorus. And these are the Rick Dees singers (laughs) doing ignorant man. And, um, and, 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 but you, um, you were kind, you played them, you thanked me for them, and as did, you know, Brother Wheeze and a, and a bunch of other people around the country. And I lived for that. I I lived to make content that, you know, to me, it was all about, does it work? Is it, is it, is it hitting? You know, is it popular? Bowel moves. Uh, I love your breasts the way they, I love your breasts the way they are. Mm. Oh, they were all great. And, and uh, yeah, we gave you credit and, I didn't mind giving you credit because I knew you weren't going to give them to anybody else in town if I gave you credit, right? That is true. I didn't even think about that, but very smart. Yeah. There was a little self-centeredness there. But yeah. these people, <laughs> the Scott Shannon morning singer, I, I don't know how you can take credit for something like that. It's just. You know what? I, I don't resent it because that was old school radio. And And by the way, I have to say this. People would steal bits and ideas from each other because consultants would actually pull into town with a wagon of, you should do the psychedelic lunch. You should do the uh, Sunday breakfast with the Beatles. And they had all these ideas for rock stations uh, because it worked. And and so when songs and parodies were made, like by Ed working and his bits at the American Comedy Network, they were meant to be networked. And so when someone gets it, you know, I didn't say this is uh, that was from the American Comedy Network. This great guy from Canada, Ed Kelly, did the, <laughs> did the boy. Yeah. Dale Reeves was part of our staff. Uh, he was a, guy, a lot of voices on the American Comedy Network. And, yeah, we just did the bits as if someone in our building was doing the voice or Zip was doing it or I was doing it. Yeah. And, and, and I never resented it. But you know what I did resent? Go ahead. Uh, all I did not care what they said on the air. I would place a call to Rick D's every day after I heard from people that he was playing it in LA 
I mean, he was my idol. He did Disco Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I would place a call to Rick Dees and say, Bob, I heard you were playing the song. Give me a call back. I just want to thank you in person. I didn't. That's all I wanted. Never got a call back. Scott Shannon. We met Scott Shannon at a um, some oh, kind of a radio boot, thing. Boot that uh, no, it wasn't boot camp. It was a thing. Zip and I were both there. Yeah, it was near Bridgeport, near the company headquarters. Maybe no. Did that turn sour later in the evening? Possibly. No, <laughs> no. Scott was Scott was a consummate pro and a gentleman and gracious. And from then on, he he built us up, not on his airwaves. Yeah, <laughs> that's his show. So I, it, it was all wonderful. I mean, just a chance. Look, I grew up listening to the radio. My grandfather gave me a transistor radio when I was five years old. To me, everyone on the radio was a huge hero and a huge star. So I still had that, you know, stars in my eyes uh, at these famous people. So just to be considered was something. That's how I felt about the parodies and the, and the uh, American Comedy Network stuff is like, wow, this stuff is on 200 stations because the American Comedy Network was huge at that time. Mm -hmm. and the bits were great and we did get credit for them and it made me do better bits, too, or at least try to do something. Um, I mean, that's kind of creativity. that's not really around anymore, unfortunately. But when when I got to AAF, we weren't there. Let's see. I was there maybe f uh, six months or so when the Orioles started off 0 and 5 and Bob mm -hmm. decided I'm going to stay on the air until the Orioles come. <laughs> yeah, good, good job, Bob. So sitting there. Well, how long is this going to go on? The Orioles <laughs> ended up going 0 and 21. You were on the air for how long? 258 and a half hours. <laughs> well, you were on Larry King at night. You were on all these shows. And it was like we had just gotten past the people calling going, where's Bob's weather? What happened <laughs> And it was really annoying to me as a guy, you know, whereas for anybody who's replacing anyone, it's really frustrating when you're trying to get people to forget someone yeah. and this oil's going to happen. And it's like, oh, my God. And I remember when they were about 0 and 12, Cindy came in one day and said, oh, Charles had Bob on this morning. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> had Bob on. Oh, my God. On WBCN, which yeah. is like, fuck. So then I thought. Well, why don't oh. we have Bob on? What are we stupid? So we started having Bob on and we sort of grabbed on. That was like, I think that's where maybe we started as sort of uh, a friendship started. Because at that point, I was completely like, oh, my God, this guy, there's no getting away from. Then we go another <laughs> five or six months. And it's like, oh, Bob's finally fading away to Baltimore. And then the Christmas album comes out <laughs> from uh, from Boston to, to D.C. And every market is playing Bob Rivers, Twisted Christmas. Here's the 12 Pains of Christmas. Or uh, the restroom door said, gentlemen, it was like, wow. I mean, you were just on a roll then. But but here's what you should know. That was recorded in in Worcester with Zip, with a whole cast of characters and people. And by the way, if Zip had a good reason to resent me, and I think he has a basket of them. Um, I already know I, the answer to this. I didn't actually, you know, credit him anywhere near enough for his contribution. Uh, look, he played drums on at least a couple of songs and um, was there for all of the, uh, the. And then we had a drum machine, which was the new thing, which is. Uh, but uh, but and I realized that that magic came out of Worcester and oh, that album was 
that out. Massive. That yes. magic came from you appearing on the Larry King show. Bob no, Rivers. Well, Hello. No. But but no, let me add some more color to that because at Worcester there was this whole nucleus of people around the guy who's still our boss named Bob Goodell. Uh, and there was Cliff Goodwin who toured with the Joe Cocker band. And there was this guy, Brian Silva and Dennis Amiro. And we were a comedy writing team and we would record in my basement on a eight track recorder and the kids crying in the 12 pains of christmas are my kids and there was a whole like joanna list there were all these local musicians so that was a worcester project and i show up in baltimore without zip and several failed sidekick attempts ensued uh doing a show leaning heavily on the american comedy network the Orioles marathon thing, the album propped me up much larger than life. And huge everywhere. And, yeah. And oh, by the way, the press on that, it was so crazy. I remember one evening, and, and this is before memes, this is before social media. Mm -hmm. you, you know, if you want a kicker story now, you just lift up your phone and and see what the torches and pitchforks are all aiming at. <laughs> but but back then, oh, someone decided this is a good kicker story. And because it's a serial drama, it was on everybody every day. And I would get, um, uh, at one point, satellite trucks assembled in the yard outside WBAL-TV, which we were the FM radio station. We were the bastard step stepchild of WBAL radio, a great news talk station. And these satellite trucks set up and they told me, you're doing a um, an interview tree for the evening news. And I'm like, what's that? Well, you're going to be asked a question, uh, but your answers are going to 60 uh, evening news affiliates, and they're going to cut it so they're asking you the question. So in the top 60 major markets, you're doing, and I didn't even know such a thing was possible, and I'm looking out at the satellite dishes, and you know, it, it, was, it was unreal to me, but... Uh, Part of the credit for this goes to the people of Baltimore. Uh, when you're when you're living that WKRP in Cincinnati, traveling from town to town life, you realize each city has its own unique character. And, you know, the magic in Worcester made that album. But the people of Baltimore, oh, they are East Coast tight with your bros family. They loved the Baltimore or Orioles like in, like, for example, in Boston. If the Red Sox are in a World Series and they lose game five, they suck. They're stupid. <laughs> they're awful. Right. <laughs> you get in a cab and think it's the worst team that there ever was. And, and the Red Sox win plenty of pennants. But in Baltimore, with the team 0 and 11, I think, when I started, the people were like, we love these guys. These guys come on guys you can do it. It's the opposite of what so many cities, I think. And so I, I just went, well. Let's let's rally for them because I'm I'm counter and um, uh, counterintuitive. Whatever's the thing you would do, I would love to try. You know, I'm a devil's advocate. I'd love to try the opposite. And so I, I just did typical radio things. I said, well, wear your underwear on the outside if you support the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> and you know what? Drive with your headlights on all day long uh, to show yeah. part of the support. Well, we had a certain amount of power. That it was the big rock station. But once the evening news rebroadcasts that if you support the Orioles drive with your headlights on, if you were in Baltimore and everybody has their headlights on, you know, it's the greatest. It was a really amazing opportunity. Um, and they and so they lost 21 in a row 
and they came home for the return home game. Bob, how bad did you want them to win at that point? <laughs> oh, were you enjoying listening so much you were hoping they would keep losing? Yeah. All right. I'm going to censor a little bit of what I say here. <laughs> but the issue was staying awake. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and sure. um and it, and I did want them to win. But you're all performers in radio. I was I was highly aware that this kind of promotion was awesome. And, I, and you see the smile on your general manager's face. Yeah. And you see, uh, you know, I'd also come into that radio station as the outsider. But you, all the jocks went, this is great for our station. So it sort of built a sense of family. And um, so music were you playing during the day, per se? Were you playing 10 songs an hour? Would you talk for, from three to four if you yeah, felt we're like talking, yeah. we're talking baseball five times in a row? <laughs> yeah, this is this is pre this is pre morning show talk show radio era. Because right. Most good rock shows evolved to a talk format because it got better ratings. Uh, and, and also because they like to tell management, I don't like the music. But um, <laughs> But this was so, you know, five songs an hour in morning drive, seven or eight the rest of the time. But I did all the breaks, uh, but I had a cast around me, the whole radio station and like literally big celebrities would just call. Wow. And, and we would put them on the air and um, and they were all wonderful. I, I remember one Larry King appearance. I was going to be on the Larry King show at midnight. And between midnight and like 4 a.m., we would put on King Biscuit Flower Hour concerts that were 90 yep. minutes. And I would and I would look, truth be told, I would cut a few voice tracks in between them and they would say, try to sleep for four hours. And but I was still on the radio. And um, and one night I had to be on with Larry King, had to be on with Larry King. I loved Larry King. He was <laughs> what a bummer. You were on with everyone. Well, <laughs> what I liked about Larry is because I was never a shock jock. I tried it. It didn't work for me. I mean, I loved Howard Stern, too, but I couldn't try to be like him. And Larry had this thing. He would always do this. Uh, no matter who his guest was, it was an astronaut, a president, a scientist, a world leader. He would introduce them in such a way that you knew that you were going to love them. And he would introduce people this. And so I, I, I was going to be on his show. I was petrified. I was going to be on this syndicated show with one of my idols. And um, I spent the whole day. I don't know if you've ever been nervous about a public appearance. Anybody? Anybody? Oh. <laughs> New stock. Yeah. yeah. Um, I spent the whole day freaking out about it and totally petrified. And when I'm listening to go on with him on the headphones in front of the microphone, he introduces me and he says, we're about to bring on a huge celebrity. <laughs> this guy has taken the world by storm with his love for his city and his team. And, uh, and he, oh, by the way, he had co-hosts that night. He had Joe Garagiola. Oh, jeez. And who's the guy who's still uh, stretching his face to uh, host the Olympics uh, on NBC? Bob Costas. Bob Costas, thank you. <laughs> He's got surprise. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> Does he stretch his face that much? Yeah. But I mean, Bob. When, when tunnel testing part time. You know what I mean. I, but God bless him. Um, I, uh, he's, I mean, he's, he, he's a genius. Uh, but, 
but so I wasn't just going on with Larry. I was going on with Larry, Joe Garagiola, and Bob Costas. And they're having this discussion to introduce me as the greatest sports fan who ever lived. And, <laughs> um, and, and so he goes, Bob, oh, Garagiola says, Bob, what were you thinking? <laughs> Mostly quarter hours. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and all I remember is that during the introduction, I can't remember the interview too much, but all I remember is that during the introduction, all my um, nervousness evaporated yeah. because I knew that were they were going to be wonderful. And we had like a rip roaring, funny 15, 20 minutes with Larry King. <laughs> I know. And, uh, oh, you get the darker rimmed glasses, Ed, and you're all there. Blizzard and suspenders. Yeah. Hey, uh, I have to yeah. be the radio guy and ask the question, what were the ratings like when the monthly came in for the month you were on the air all by yourself <laughs> for 12 days or 14 days or whatever? I sort of remember um, the ratings were very good. I mean, we were <laughs> we were in the, you know, we were in the, you'll know what this means. We were like in the threes as a, you know, top five, 25, 54. And, uh, and they weren't like 10 shares, but they were in the upper fours. And all of a sudden we were like number one, 25, 54. Yeah. So in a competitive, in a market like that, and you know what this means, where you have Washington, D.C., the Grease Man, and you have Baltimore, yeah. it, it was buku signals. So it was good. Um Let's skip ahead to some fun stuff now. <laughs> Let's talk more about you, Drew Lane. Um, okay. 22 years in Detroit, uh, a competitive city. What was your vision for your morning show? And what's your, uh, I want to hear a little bit of your philosophy. Because uh, every every morning show host has their own, you know, what's what psychs you out and why you do it. I would say uh, I like to think that I'm better prepared than anyone else, that that is what I do well. And if I do that well, then I probably have a pretty good shot of competing near the top. And, and I think maybe I overdo it. I probably do overdo it. I spend too much time preparing and not that it doesn't make for a good show, but I mean, I think it's just a little, could be a little obsessive at times. Like the antenna is always up now with phones, I'm always checking, you know, hey, what's going on? Let's see what the Daily Mail, let's see what the uh, New York Post has. You know, I, I tend to, to look at those tabloidish places, um, although I will like to look at the New York Times and the Washington Post from time to time, depending on what's going on. But when, when we got the job in Detroit, uh, I really just wanted to survive a couple years in Detroit because I thought if you could, at that time in 1991, if you could work in a major market for a couple years, you basically had that stamped on your back and you yep. could get a job forever. It's, it's like, you know, I told you making $35,000 in Charlotte, that was probably the most excited I ever was about a contract. Mm -hmm. So I made many, many more times that down the road because I thought, wow, I can make a living in radio doing this. <laughs> and that, that's how I felt in 1986 or 85 or whatever year it was. But, but going to Detroit, I really felt like, God, if we can just compete here and survive a couple of years, and then, you know, after a couple of years, it's like, well, maybe we can make five years here. And if you're in a market like that for five years, then, you know, you've really made a mark and you you're going to stay employed. And then as time goes on and we started really winning, then it's like, 
well, we got to be number one. I mean, if we're not number one, <laughs> fuck. And people are like, oh my God, they're losing it. And then <laughs> Stern came in. It sounds paranoid, doesn't it? Yeah. Stern came in. Uh, Ted Nugent came yeah. in before Stern. Opie and Anthony came in. We had everything. They were throwing everything at you, by the way. Did you feel that? Because I, I felt that at one point, too. They were trying to dislodge you. I, I kind of did, um, although Howard wanted to rule the world, so it wasn't like he didn't. I mean, and he wasn't you personally. <laughs> no, I didn't take it personally. Um, but honestly, when he came into Detroit, he was uh, he did it like he did everywhere else. Oh, Drew and Mike, they're trying to steal my act, and you know they do this and they do that, and it's it sounded so stupid if you knew our show because our show was nothing like his show, and he was in the middle of his movie, Private Parts. And there was so much movie promotion and the movie, the movie, the movie. I think it was a bad launch in Detroit for him. Uh, not to say that we didn't do well at what we were doing and we couldn't have beaten him otherwise. But I, I think that uh, it was pretty clear the dichotomy of the two shows, the one that was local, that was there every day talking about the Red Wings and the Stanley Cup and the one who was bragging about his movie, which is what Howard didn't. And he did it so well. So. You know, first it was survival, then it was uh, trying to stay on top, and and then um, you know now it's just uh, it's just I just like doing it. It's just fun to do every day. It's it's not so, it doesn't feel like a job. Uh, yeah, let me ask about that. I've been listening to your podcast a couple of times. You know, it's funny. I have a lot of friends who do podcasts. I've done some hardly listen to podcasts myself with these guys, <laughs> and, and 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 I have friends who are on every single day still on major radio stations and. <sighs> And their podcasts are everything's available, and uh, and and I'll go years, and I'll go well, uh, good on you. And then um, and then I start listening, and I remember because I haven't had a lot of this in years. I remember why I got into this business. It was to from being fans of incredible people in the business, whether it was Wolfman Jack or Howard Stern, who deserves lots of credit. I used to listen to tapes of him, or or you, or heck, I I listened to Doctor Laura because I was like. How can you be such a B I T? <laughs> I'm trying to think whether I should use the B word or the C. I'll go with the B word. And and I was like, how can you do that? And yet, and, and yet the show is so captivating. And I would listen to Tom Likas, and I would listen to when I grew up, Gene Shepherd in New York. And so lately, listening to podcasts, and I'm going to take this opportunity to say, if you haven't listened to the Drew and Mark Mike show, and you miss the kind of chemistry uh, that you know a, a fully produced show has. You're not just doing a podcast yourself. You have taken your whole radio show. You've got Trudy and you've got Mark, right? Mark and who else? And Brandon and Jim is here today. Jim's here uh, a couple days a week. And we've got a YouTube channel now. So a lot of our bits are on YouTube, which is everyone is doing that now. In yes, podcasting. Right. And Eli Zarrett on occasion. Do, do, yes, Eli Zarrett too on, on Mondays for sports for the weekend. Ed, is WJR uh, have a YouTube channel? <laughs> Thank you, by the way, for your earlier accolades of our new lineup next week. <laughs> you did such a, a job lauding this $50,000, 50,000 radio station. I said, thanks, Drew. <laughs> the great voice of the Great Lakes. No, it's, it's one of the most famous stations in the world, WJR 760. But are, are they on YouTube? I, I, I don't mean that as a joke. I'm more kind of. But well, some, some shows are, some shows aren't. They're catching up on on that uh, social media end of things. 
Um, Paul, Paul W., I think, in particular, uh, when he gets to his new time slot, is going to be on that like paint. Okay. WJR, my understanding, I'm um, going off topic here a little bit, but is the biggest billing station in Detroit. And it, doesn't that piss you off? <laughs> I can't understand. I'm like, why isn't everyone trying to steal the sales staff at WJR? Because you got an AM that, you know, doesn't have the, the ratings it used to have. or the Not, not even close. How are they still doing it? See, we're the highest building station in town, and we've got this many people. <laughs> but these people are loaded. I'm telling. Could it be because that kind of talk, and uh, and not just about the politics, but that kind of talk creates such a loyal audience that brands get their money's worth by being I, on it? Because it's not background. Everybody knows the music stations are somewhat gamed by the people meter to look like they have more audience than they do if they don't i just told you uh so uh it, could it be the loyalty and fierceness of the audience and and relating that back to drew lane who really is our topic right now you with your podcast are not doing it the free no advertising or the patreon pay to subscribe way you're doing it with loyal clients who love you because it works for them, right? Yeah, we have a really loud audience. They're loyal. They make a lot of noise when they call Hall Financial for a refi or when they go buy a car from Zot. They make a ton of noise. And, you know, I, I talked to them. <laughs> <laughs> he just answered his own question. You know, yeah. He's the new WJR. He doesn't have as big an audience as he used to, but man, are they loyal and are they? Uh, uh, yeah. Does w, do WJR, WJR people make a lot of noise when they go? I don't know. I mean, we, we have an insurance guy on um, who gets 50 tips a month from the podcast. And I'm like, you've got to be exaggerating. There's no 50 tips a month. That seems insane. But, I, you know, I suppose it's possible. I mean, we definitely have uh, people want us. I think when I started the podcast, I made it clear that if these advertisers – do not succeed because of this show, this show will disappear. And I think the audience took it very seriously and they know it's and they're, Yeah. They're loyal and they're, they're also proactive. Yeah. You also went right from the radio. I needed a period of, uh, of quiet meditation <laughs> for seven years after, after getting out of media. Um, you went right from the radio show to your podcast. You also do it four days a week. Unlike lazy people, who try to get together once every week or so. No, you're you're committed to it as you were to your show. And that was another question I wanted to make sure I asked you. You work as hard as you did. It, yeah, it, it, pretty much, except I don't make appearances. In fact, I, I've joked that um that I've retired from public life. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story behind that. We were calling a phone number on the air for Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy yeah. Stewart. Yeah. From uh yeah, Ed. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, can I, can I help you, Drew? He answers the phone. We just hear the phone clattering. He's got to be in his age, and we just hear, uh, hello? And, and then the next thing you know, we hear another line pick up, and this woman says, uh, hello, what can I do for you? And I said, you know, we were just talking to Jimmy Stewart. This is Drew and Mike from uh, WRIF. And um, and Jimmy's going, I, 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 I. And, and she said, Mr. Stewart has retired from public life. <laughs> and then we heard... And then we heard Jimmy's phone get slammed. We heard that hang up. And I said, well, Jimmy, Jimmy, you see there? And she said, no, he hung up. I his number again. And we were convinced that Jimmy was about to say, I, 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 I'm being held hostage. But that retired oh. life just sounded really cool to me. 
So <laughs> I always get in appearances. So we never make appearances. I just work on the show, which is what I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing merchandise, uh, which we stopped doing because it took too much time up. Um, and, and we oh, weren't we weren't very good at pricing either. We seem to sell a lot of merchandise, but not make a lot of money. So uh, we're going to start that up again. But I mean, basically I just focused on what I like to do, which is the show two and a half, three hours every day, five days. Now it's leaning four most of the time. And we're doing five. Yeah, I was doing five every week. Um, and, And by the way, when you said being a fan, when I saw you guys were doing a podcast, I was like, wow, I can hear Zip again. And, <laughs> and, and Ed's on there, too. And I put it on. I had a ball listening, but it's like, oh, one hour a week. Fuck. <laughs> Lazy fucks. I listen to other shows. I love hearing great shows. I'm, I love that there's a million podcasts out there because I can listen to, you know, great podcasts, horrible podcasts, mostly great. But um, even bad ones are entertaining to me. And um, I spend a lot of time listening to other shows. I mean, that's to me what I love to do in my spare time. Not the number one thing, but um, a good podcast is just gold to me. I love it. Now, Drew, you, uh, I, I get asked this question. You, of course, also should be asked this question. It's probably one you've heard a million times. You don't have to work. You had such a long career. Uh, surely between your social security and your Medicare and. So why and, does he keep picking me up for 50 bucks? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, is it, was it a surprise to you as it was? I, look, I took seven years off. Was it a surprise to you in any way that it had really, and by the way, I'm glad that uh, broadcasters that we negotiated with for good salaries didn't know I would do it for free, but was it a surprise to you that you, the passion had nothing to do with, the paycheck or the contract it's just in you to do this no you're I, I don't have to work but um you're right i would have done it for so much less and it, the competitive environment forces you of course to accept the largest uh, the most amount of money you possibly can while you can but uh it, it is really strange that you get paid to do this and uh I, i'm not doing this for the money but at the same time i'm kind of competitive i feel like I want to have the biggest audience and I want to have the most advertising we can without, you know, playing too many commercials in a podcast because podcasts generally don't have a lot of commercials. But, you know, so was this like your show? You started off with, well, let's see if we can do this for a couple of years. Now let's get better at it. Now let's make some money. Now let's kick ass and put KJR (laughs) out of the, or what is it called? Out of business. Uh, W. WJR. Let's put WJR in there. I mean, competitive. We did. Bob, we, uh, I went out with an engineer and bought, I said, I want really good equipment. I want this to sound really good. What mics does WRIF have? Because I love the way WRIF sounds. They have uh, RE20s. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with these. You, you guys are tech guys. You probably um, know. RE or EV, either one, yeah. Um, in fact, what, what kind of mics are you? Is that a Shure you're using, Bob? So this is Shure SM7B, which is um, my two mics are the RE20 or the Shure. Uh, the Shure tends to block out echo and background noise a little better but the re20 actually i think sounds a little better uh yeah there you go that's there it. He is. those yeah. are the two mics any podcast or radio person should have yeah we i was on this sure mic for about 20 minutes one day and people went ballistic what that sounds like shit it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i guess you want to bring up my re20 um they just like this a lot better and i and i love the way like it sounds yeah. but we did uh we did the show for four months and then 
two of the guys I was doing the show with, um, Mark and Brandon, were working at sports radio and sports radio blew up. And so it was like, I have to pay these guys or they're not going to be able to do it. Hmm. So I, we put up a donate bar and we got, I think, seventy five thousand dollars in five days. So I wrote the guys big checks for Christmas and we got to, we had some people contacting us wanting to advertise. I just didn't like the idea of being a business person. I just I can't run a business. But it's not that complicated. It's a matter of, you know, I, I do have to talk to advertisers more than I ever did. I found that I don't mind. I'm a better uh, commercial reader because of it, because I know what they want to communicate. And, you know, in, with radio, it was always push the button and eight minutes later I'm on. Now I know who's behind it. I, I think I do a better job of selling the products. I like I don't take advertising that I don't believe in. Um, we've had a couple offers from betting sites and stuff like that that I just thought, no, that's bullshit. And one, in fact, one that said, uh, uh, let's see, win, uh, get paid. You know, it's that easy. And and so anyway, I put some money on the site and tried to get paid. And it took two weeks to get paid. Unless I took in Bitcoin, I could have had it in two days. Like, I am not going <laughs> yeah, to do Bitcoin. Yeah. That. I will not do that. But, but we did it for four months for free, and then we started billing, and then the billing got better and better, and I was able to pay these guys. And, and they're paid – I think they're paid fairly. I mean, probably better than radio. Having listened to your show uh, a whole three times, um, <laughs> I, I, but being blown away, I, I, I want to talk about your content and how you choose it a little bit uh, because uh, these days a lot of my friends tend to be old and white – uh, think that the whole world revolves around politics. And um, I, I've become uh, completely uh, disgusted, uh, as I wish I was from birth uh, with politics, uh, because it's really about herding people into predictable camps to vote. And mm. it's politics is a game of power. And it 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 pervades anything where there's co competition for money or, or power or control. And so these days, um, that seems to be a lot of what's on all the major newspapers headlines. And you alluded to the tabloids a little, I actually think the tabloids are more refreshing these days oh, yeah. than the wall street journal and the New York, uh, you know, or the, uh, Washington post or the New York times. Those are the three I pay for. Do you, uh, can you talk about like the other day you were talking about Britney Spears, I'm living here in Las Vegas and I hadn't heard about her. <laughs> and and well, so, and you know, it matters because these are real people dealing with real things. Yes, they happen to be celebrities, but, um, but it's more likely in my life that I'm going to have to deal with someone who's on meth than it is that I'm going to, you know, <laughs> have some effect on a, on a stolen election. So uh, anyway, talk about how you get your stuff and how you decide, because you seem to be, right on top of things. And then I will hear about them the next day if they make the mainstream. Media. Yeah, I, we're quick. And you know what? Everyone in the show preps hard. Everyone. It, I think that's one thing we have in common. And it really helps because I feel like the goal is we're not going to miss anything. And when I say miss, I mean, anything that's really good, entertaining. And Britney Spears, uh, why that's interesting to me is not because, you know, she was that super hot girl in the school dress and all that. It's that she was in a conservatorship for 13 years. And then all of a sudden her fans start saying, be free, be free, let Britney be free. And and everyone acted like they knew that that was the right thing. Hmm. And then she was free. And then all of a sudden she's not spinning on Instagram and, and you know, half nude or, or nude. And then her kids are saying, 
Oh, it's really kind of embarrassing. And she's saying, my kids made me not believe in God. And, you know, we were kind of following all this going, she's out of her mind. Completely. And it's, it's just fascinating how the narrative that she should be free, you know, freed her. And then she's free. And it's like, oh, this is a really bad idea. And, um, and so it's been an interesting story. I just find it, anything I find interesting, I don't care if it's in the business page or the gossip page or the sports page, because we talk about sports too, but the best sports story we've had in the last few days was, Conor McGregor allegedly raped this girl at the Miami Heat game after punching out Bernie the mascot. And I don't know how much you guys follow UFC or Conor McGregor, but Ed, you probably heard about the story because you're I doing they are every day. Yep. So, so that that's the kind of sports story I like. And then um, there's the Cy Young Award winner, uh, Trevor Bauer, who <laughs> had a fifth woman accuse him of choking her unconscious. He's playing in Japan now because no major league team will sign him. So. I think those non-sports sports stories are as interesting as the actual sports stories. X's and O's we don't get into because that's, I think we, we don't narrow cast. Hmm. And, and with politics, you're either, you, you have to be in an echo chamber. You can't be in the middle. If you're going to do a full blown political show, you've got to be either right or left or you're never, you'll just have angry people yelling at you all the time. <laughs> so I really try to stay away from it as much as I can. You know, when Trump's indicted, for the second time, obviously, you can't ignore it. That's on Entertainment Tonight yeah. at yeah. that point. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I, yeah. I would rather look at what's funny about it. You know, mm -hmm. the guy that ran out in the street and got arrested and, um, you know, the, the chick that got thrown out of the bar for asking, you know, are you worried about going to prison? You know, and they bolster <laughs> from the from the club. And, you know, there's always some funny stories around it. But the politics of it, I it's just so annoying and it's trolling and triggering and all those, you know, all those words that uh, these mental health people use. <laughs> I really try to stay away from it. And, and I, I find that I like shows like that too. And, you know, when you're talking about being a fan, I meant to mention Kevin Matthews, who was nominated with you for the radio hall of fame this year. Do you know, do you guys know Kevin Matthews very well from I don't. Chicago? He was on uh, prior to Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer, Stephen Gary, and after Jonathan Brandmeyer and Kevin was the most creative of all of them. I'm not really? saying he's the best show, but he was a voice guy like you, Ed. You know, mm -hmm. you must know Kevin Matthews. I don't. I knew Steve Dahl, but I didn't know uh, Kevin Matthews. He had a great character named Jim Shorts, who was a sports guy. Yeah. And um, he, he did a lot of voices like Ditka and very Chicago guy. He's from Michigan, but he really, um, anyway, uh, I listened to his podcast. He spent with his sports character, Jim Shorts, who is um, who's a real weasel and, you know, tells everybody shut up and screw off and all that. Anyway, Jim was in some kind of a, a weakened state. I think he was burned or something. And Jim spent 17 minutes on this podcast opening his Christmas package. I mean, all you can hear was. There's a lot of tape here. Hold on a second. He's <laughs> going. How long is this going to go on? Unbelievable. <laughs> the character is really funny. The character would only speak about every forty seconds. He's like, ah, I got this side. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin is brilliant, and I just want to say that I looked at the list of people nominated today, and I said, and first of all, your name was mentioned first in Billboard. And in one other story I read, it said Bob Rivers leads the list of candidates. And I thought, wow, that's I didn't see any of that. Uh, yeah, Billboard had your name first. Mm. And um, I would say you and Kevin Matthews and maybe Charles Lockwoodera would be my three votes 
<laughs> I guess Kid Leo might go in there too. I, I don't know how many people go in, Bob. Of the so, world? so there are t uh, twenty-four nominees. Eight will be inducted. Okay. Six, six will be. And I'm reading this right from the press release. Six will be picked by essentially the Academy, uh, a group of about eight hundred industry people, uh, a private group. No one knows who they are. Uh, except when they call me and say, you got my vote. And I say, that's one, that's one. Um, but, uh, and then two are picked by the committee, which, so they got 20, I think somewhere around 2,500 submissions and they picked 24. Wow. And out of those 24, eight will get in. And people are asking, yeah. Third time for you nominated? Uh, this is my fourth nomination. I'm the Susan Lucci. <laughs> of... <laughs> wow. Not my joke, but a friend of mine's joke, and it was pretty good. So, uh, so I, look, it's an honor to be uh, to be mentioned with those names. And every time I see Charles Laquadera, I'm like, wow. you know, I idolized Charles. Uh, and there's so many people in there. Burt Weiss is an amazingly successful uh, talent in Atlanta who's syndicated, who I got to meet at Morning Show Bootcamp last year. And, you know, they're all better. Everyone is better than me, as far as I'm concerned, as I have that confidence that my father instilled at me from a young age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to hear, Ed Kelly, did you look at the list? I have not seen the list. No, I don't subscribe to Billboard anymore. Okay. Well, it's it's all over. If you Google Radio Hall of Fame, it'll give you the 24 names. And and I knew a lot of the names. You know, John DeBella's on there. Yes. I know John DeBella. I've heard John DeBella. Uh, Shadow Stevens is on there. Mojo. Shadow Stevens. Mojo from Detroit. Matt Siegel from Boston. That's three Boston mornings. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. Uh, Matt Siegel certainly, I would think, would have a good shot. In fact, I'm surprised Matt Siegel's not in there. Wasn't he on well, Kiss? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's a lot of people. Why aren't they in there? Yeah, yeah. it's it's similar. I mean, I I would just even if you look at the list of people who are in there, t the chance to join, you know, Laurel and Hardy. It's just it's intimidating. Um, but uh, but look, it's it's good thing. Um, and. I'm enjoying it. I, you know, I've had a heck of a year and a half, as everybody knows, with my health issues, which are, you know, NED and in, in, in pretty good shape right now. I, I probably just have similar complaints to all four of you because <laughs> 60 yeah. is not the new 40. Uh, but <laughs> but it's great. And 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 it's uh, it, boy, there's people. I mean, the other three times I was nominated, Mark and Brian won and. Um, John Brandmeier, Jonathan Brandmeier uh, yeah. in Chicago. I'm mean, of course, and and so each time that would happen, I part of me was like, well, yeah, duh. I was nice to be in the same you know uh, category, uh, and, and so this year I was really hoping it would be all horrible people that were nominated that didn't deserve it. Oh, so it's I not. Might, so I might have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> There, uh, but I will tell you, I, I looked up quite a few of the people on here, and I have no doubt in my mind that you and Kevin Matthews and Charles Laquadera should go in. There's no question in my mind. I don't know that that'll happen because you never know with these things. But Zip, did you look at the list at all? I did not. But I, I'm pretty much in line with what you just said, honestly. And I remember you talking about Kevin Matthews. Um, ad nauseum to me in the early days and Steve Dahl, you know, yeah. Steve Dahl. Well, he's in Steve, Stephen yeah. Gary, Bram Myers. in. that was a lineup. 
And, you know, yeah. talking about being a fan of radio, I loved listening to radio in Chicago when Brand Meyer, Kevin Matthews, Stephen Gary were on. And they they made so much fun of uh, the guys on GN back in the day. Um, Eddie Schwartz, they made so much fun of the guy that was on overnights. They hired him for overnights. And their audience, <laughs> the audience on the loop loved hearing him because they'd heard him made fun of for so long. They actually were drawn to him. Crazy. But uh, I would love to see you go in. I really would. That's it would be kind. Good. Uh, and uh I brought something out for this visit today that I think it might be time to play. Now, where are we at? I mean, again, this guy, Drew Lane, does a show four days a week. Each show, I went to, when I started the podcast, I was like, oh, I wonder how long this is. Yeah. <laughs> Three hours long. And, <laughs> and, and never a dull moment in the whole thing. And tons of topics, by the way. If I really wanted to do that kind of show again, I would just get tapes of his the day before. <laughs> 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 do bullet points. Well, I would have the same opinions. By the way, I can't get out of my head. Uh, your, your love for Christy Brinkley was expressed so beautifully. Uh, <laughs> and you talked about just what a beautiful woman she is and how amazing she is at this age. And then you went, and I love this about a great show, uh, because I, I talk about opinions, why I could never do politics. My opinion changes in the middle of a sentence. Yes. I could not pick a side. And so you're talking about Christy Brinkley and you're talking about just with the passion of someone who probably had her as a pinup she all did. those years. And, th and then you go, but she is getting a bit of a pumpkin head. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to carve it out. I saw it. It's the filler here. It, yeah. Yeah. It it yeah. Look, if you, as you get older and, you know, Dolly Parton, I don't care whoever is beautiful, but as you get older, you go in and we go, how can we make it? And it's like a car, you know, a classic car. They actually talk about when a classic car restores, is it, you, can you look at it up close or is it a 20 footer? Yeah. 10 oh. footer. Right. And then from 50 feet away, it looks perfect. <laughs> and so you said that, and then you guys whip out these pictures of her and I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> and yet, my guys are really quick with that oh, stuff. I they mean, are. And the sound bites. Yeah. yeah really. And, fast. and yet somehow, because this is your magic, Drew, done with love. There's yeah. always a heart to your show. It's never mean. It can be feeling mean if you're talking about my picture, <laughs> but it's a celebrity. It, you know, it's 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 really a beautiful thing. It's been a pleasure listening to it. Now, what I'd like to do, and I and I believe that our um, our webmaster uh, executive producer, who I'll bring on for just a second, he hates to be on. Uh, that's David Lee. Without who none of this could be possible. Yes, thank you, thank David. you, David. Hello, and, and Drew. You know the importance of a guy like David. Sure. Yeah. Uh, David, do you have the Bob and Zip video that was played on V66 oh, and on MTV? Why, recently, yes, I do. all right, recently the V66, there was a really blurry vision available that was really awful. Recently, the V66 people posted uh, a pretty good quality video. So this is me and Zip. Do you know the year? 83, 4? It was right after, it was at the time that Van Halen... <laughs> And David Lee Roth were breaking up. I don't know if I can do this, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> what year? 1988. Was it 88? <laughs> no, it could have been 88 because I was already in Baltimore. But they you're split, close. They split up around 84, I think. Okay. Yeah. And and so uh, there was a new MTV clone in Boston called V66. Bob, there's a documentary about V66. 
you might be in it. Did you know that? <laughs> you, um, so when I do stuff like that, I never watch it. Yeah. I hate myself. Um, I don't like watching either. Yeah, I've retired from public life. <laughs> <laughs> He's stealing that line, you know. Yeah. That, right? Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> because that's the that was always the worst part of my job is to yeah. go out and you know be in the, at the auto dealer. And I love the clients. I would go visit the owner of the auto dealership and have lunch and hang out all day. Uh, but anyway, so V sixty six has just released this video. Take it away, Dave. Okay, kids, here's that hit video you've all been waiting for. It's by that toe-headed beach bum, and it's called Just a Gigolo, exclusively right here on Bob and Zip TV. Uh, oh, man. I can't believe we're playing this crap. Me neither. I'll tell you, uh -uh. if we were going to make a video, it would be a lot better than this junk. That's right. You know, we wouldn't have to rip anybody off. No, are you kidding? We would come up with something totally original. Mm. Something that's never been done before. In fact, we'll go something like this. I'm just a big ego, and everywhere I go, people say that they adore me. They pay for just a chance to look at my tight pants.
Austin Rock Video, WVJV. A couple of morning guys from WAAF. That is Bob and Zip. And I've got just a big ego. Very well could be the case of David Lee Roth and Van Halen, as you have probably been reading and hearing about it. No kind words between David Lee Roth and uh, Eddie Van Halen. They are splitting up and supposedly uh, Eddie Van Halen getting together with Sammy Hager to release some material. And David Lee Roth going on on a uh, solo tour. And he's going to make his acting debut. Can you see David Lee Roth making his acting debut? Boy, oh boy, I can hardly wait. <laughs> oh man, was that Ian O? That's Ian, Ian O'Malley. Yes, that was Ian O'Malley. Yeah, yes. Ian was working nights at AF when uh, when I got there, and Ian went on to work at uh, uh, what's the not MTV, but what's the old people's MTV? Uh, sure. Oh, VH1. 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 Yes, very well said. Yeah, it was on VH1, and he's been on uh, radio in New York. In fact, I can't believe how many people from AF spread their wings and got out there. But that was really, I, I remember playing that on WROV. That was on the American Comedy Network, wasn't it? Yes, it no, was. I, it was. My on. version was on there, which was just, uh, Frozen Embryo. Do you remember when they were the, had the big controversy? I remember that. Yeah. I, I'm just that. an embryo, Frozen, don't you know? My parents made a court case of me. I'm not a baby, not even a fetus. I don't know what all of the fuss is about. I ain't got oh, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. You would be so canceled right now for that. Funny how you remember how we remember lyrics from these songs. Like oh, uh, Zip, oh, I know, you and I can't have a conversation without bringing up the Neil Lomax. Yes, which was to hip to be square, Huey Lewis, and it was Neil's hip needs repair. <laughs> <laughs> At least it was close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when Neil puts puts on his underwear. I <laughs> Zip. That was your hook. Zip was great with hooks, but no, was, I. That was a great video. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, sax player in there, by the way, is Derek Dyer, who was Tina Turner's touring saxophonist. He's the guy on those videos of her live from Rio at the top of her career. He also toured with Joe Cocker. And, uh, you know, these were, uh, by the way, I miss the days when you could go on the radio and say, hey, we need about 500 girls in bikinis to show up at <laughs> Revere Beach at 10 a.m. on Saturday. You know, ask. Yeah, and um, and they, you know, would not only show up but be totally into it, and uh, and Zip and I, uh, we used to do our show in that exact same pair of swim shorts. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> did, did that get played on MTV? It did get played on MTV. Wow. And, and so did the I Am Santa Claus one, and uh, yeah. Yes. Now, did Stockman direct that? Steve Stockman. Steve Stockman actually directed early. Yeah. Uh, who was Who is David Lee Roth? Uh, a listener, uh, and, and not the singer, by the way. The singer is a guy named John Sullivan, who's a great vocalist and still writes songs to this day. I ended up meeting up with him again in Springfield when I lived in Vermont. Uh, his, um, someone called me and said, "I know the singer. You have to get this guy." And it was like a girl who knew him and said, no, you're the perfect guy to do this. And she ended up marrying him. <laughs> <laughs> and they and their daughter live four miles from us in Vermont. And so, oh, you, you know, all of this stuff that happened had such magic to it. Uh, but he sang the vocal absolutely perfectly. And then when we, we needed, he didn't look like David Lee Roth. So we, we looked for a, a lookalike uh, to do that. But and Revere Beach, you could get a like today. You'd need a permit. You'd need you know film permit. You'd need a license. You'd need to hazmat suit. Yeah, 
Back then, hazmat, yeah, because it's polluted. <laughs> did, did you even call and tell them you were coming? Not a thing. No, 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 no. We um, pulled up in the WAAF promo van and got right. out and, and you know. Oh, yeah, the rock bus. That thing was huge. Um, what was the cost of making that video? Did AAF pay for it? Yeah, I didn't pay for anything back then. I don't. I have no uh, recollection, but... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know how they. I, I all the so here's the thing you you got to know. To me, I, I've been living a dream because I've been surrounded by smart, funny, intelligent people, and how they all just showed up and you know and and all of that happened. Uh, I was you know I would have the idea, and Zip used to talk about this too. How did you get all this? How, how, and, and I would just create. And you must do this a little bit, Drew. You just create the whirlwind around you and then for a period of time i just felt very blessed that all of these things i mean the orioles marathon started with me sitting at a game next to my gm and chris emery the afternoon guy at 98 rock and i said uh i said wow they're really sucking and i said this is horrific because i was from boston so i would I, my natural inclination was to hate the team sure and chris emery leaned over to the general manager because i was still the new guy not that well respected and he said, you should have Rivers stay on the air till the Orioles win a game. And as soon as he said it, the part of me that is a complete, you know, take advantage of any situation. What do you call that? Not entrepreneurial. <laughs> exploitative. Exploitative part of me went, oh, that would work here. And I said, I'll do it if you want me to. And he said, well, they're only down six to nothing. Let's see if they lose tonight. And, you know, that's so all of these things just sort of plucked out of the, uh, you know, good friendships and fun and even people who despised me. Well, I, I always thought you were a promotional person uh, beyond what I knew, because I, I remember you were buying billboards in opposing towns when the Seahawks were in playoff games and they yeah. were they were really um, provocative or, you know, would get people all pissed off. And, and those are great. They always got lots yeah. of publicity. Uh, you know how to get them in the newspaper, which was a big deal back then, because I mean, and now it'd be easier with the Internet. My God. The next time I'm in the newspaper. Obituary. <laughs> well, you're going in the Radio Hall of Fame. That's an excuse in the paper. Well, maybe the newspaper would cover that. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> yes, they will. Yeah. No, wow. I, when do you find out, Bob? I'm actually, I think, I think I'm more excited about this than you are. When does, when does this happen? Uh, I believe the voting is for the next two weeks till the end of the month. And then they announce the winners sometime. I think it's, uh, it's on a press release somewhere sometimes towards the end of July, maybe it's the 24th or the 27th. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm not one of those people that says, I don't care about these awards. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> however it goes just to be, Remember, I started off sending tapes to Scott Shannon and Rick Dees. I started off listening to WNEW, Scott Muni. I mean, Scott I literally Muni. sat in front of the mirror. Did you ever do a mirror rehearsing voices? Like Stern did with the WNBC. I was doing Scott Muni. Um, I, I recorded into a, I had a little tape recorder I used to practice into, yeah. but uh, not so much in front of the mirror. I always liked being the guy in the studio that nobody could see. Uh, <laughs> like I said, and that's why I've retired from public life. <laughs> why, why Now, where did you live growing up, Bob? Grew up in Brantford, Connecticut. Connecticut. Uh, okay. And Zip also grew up in Connecticut, Hartford area. And I, uh, so I listened to New York radio. I mean, my whole birth of my thoughts about radio came from the biggest stations in the biggest radio city in the world. 
and uh and, and you know for talk it was gene shepherd and i don't know if you know much about him but he did a talk show on wor then there was bob and ray on wor so those were comedy sketches and bits sure. and and so growing up listening to those people to me that's what radio was it was it was a combination of freewheeling but also produced to sound bigger than life well, I, I miss the production part of radio so much because people did great production. I mean, when you guys were doing your parodies, who was the guy, Billy West at WBCN? He was doing parodies that were no better than yours. And he he went on to do, you know, uh, cartoons. And what, what did Billy West do? Didn't he do Ren and Stimpy? Or, I mean, he did tons of stuff. He was a huge guy in Hollywood. We lost that somehow, but that's okay. Uh, yes. Uh, and by the way, I was, I idolized him. I thought his parodies were incredible uh, because they were on the Charles Lacodero show, partially mm -hmm. making that bigger than life. Uh, but there was this guy just getting started back then. Uh, I forget which year, this guy, Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, yeah. And um, as I was ramping up, he was signed to Scotty Brothers Records. And I thought, I need a record label too. And uh, eventually... That would be Atlantic Records. Someone big at Atlanta heard the parodies and said, let's sign this up. Uh, and, 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 you know, it all worked from like being played on MTV, stuff like that. We would be in proximity to New York. People would reach out to you. Uh, but anyway, it was um, it was Weird Al Yankovic. And I would interview him over the years who he really did it right to have a career. He got permission from all of the artists he parodied. And he parodied the biggest songs, uh, you know, Beat It Became Eat It with Michael Jackson's Blessing. So the record companies could t totally get behind him. And then at one point I did an interview with him where he actually came on the air to our show apologetic. He said, I'm so sorry that so many songs online are being credited as my songs when they're actually your songs. <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> and, uh, it was very kind of him. Uh, and and. Oh, you probably you've probably done more parodies than Al Yankovic has done. Uh, the count that I have in my archives is over six hundred. I, I, I probably did, but I also did more shitty ones than he did. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever listened to old tapes, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What was, what was Al Yankovic's for? Was it My Bologna? Yes. Uh, or another one rides the bus, or it was one yes. of those. Oh, and uh, like a surgeon, or like a sturgeon. Yeah. Or yeah. A, a, and they were cute and funny and accessible to everybody. Whereas I would take, you know, harsher things like, does anybody really know where Bosnia is? Does anybody even care? I would take politics and the inspiration for how we did politics was Johnny Carson. Back then you had a guy who could be middle of the road and poke fun at both sides. And politics was not so divisive. Of course, it was all curated by three networks who would say to themselves things like, let's not talk about Jackie Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe, because that'll be disruptive. So you, you didn't have the kind of the go for it, lowbrow stuff. And you could back then do what would be too edgy today. I personally don't understand why these late night shows are so I mean, they're they hate Trump. They, all the jokes are about Trump, which is fine. They're funny jokes. But nobody on the right can watch those shows. And I've noticed their numbers have gone down. Kimmel, who I love and I think is so funny, is doing like less than a million a night now. And I'm thinking, how long can that, how long can they continue to pay him 
you know, 12, $13 million if he's doing less than a million. That's well, well, part of that is he's making content online that doesn't get counted as his nightly ratings. And it's, and it's, and by the way, uh, the answer to this is my son, Andrew, who's a comic, he's 38 years old. He, he subscribes to nothing. Everything he wants to watch, he can find on the internet. Oh, well, then you miss out on lots of great streaming shows. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, all those shows repackage their stuff into best of clips. And you too, uh, you're on YouTube with that, with that, um, uh, Christy Brinkley thing. Sure. And you know, if I don't have three hours to listen to your whole show, but I watch that clip. Yeah. So that's the business model now, I think, uh, with those guys. Well, that's what, uh, you know, people are telling me you have to do your show on YouTube. You have to force your entire audience to go over to YouTube. And we have the audience so trained to listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and all those, those places and to be an audio only show that, they don't care. They don't need to see us. Let's bring in my executive producer, Dave, who's been telling me you have to do your whole show on YouTube. You have to get them all to go over to YouTube. Right, Dave? <laughs> That's what everyone tells me, too, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and some people make some money on YouTube, too. We just got a check for, was it $289? Yep. Mm. $289 bucks for, uh, I don't know, 150,000 views or something. Mm. So and I mean, if you make something really go viral, you can make some money. You can. And my son, Andrew, who's a stand-up comic, is tens of millions of views on Facebook uh, and and on those short reels. Uh, and they send him checks every month. And they're reasonably substantial sometimes. But you keep have It's like Seymour. You have to keep feeding Seymour. Yeah. Uh, if you stop, if you put all your stuff out there and then you do nothing for a couple of months then you know it, it's it's almost like top 40 radio it's like these little reels of comics are records that get played and they're making huge stars uh like taylor tomlinson you're familiar with her great young comedian sells out six nights in a row uh, in vegas uh at huge numbers and so you can these days become a star using this social media if you hit just right Oh, my God. Yes. Hey, are you guys playing music anymore? Because Zip, I know you love to play the drums. And Bob, you play music, too, don't you? Uh, Zip's still a great multi-instrumentalist, by the way. He can play drums, keyboards, organ. I, I'm his spokesperson now because he doesn't like the <laughs> he's born. <laughs> oh, Go ahead, Stop. No, I, I do. I got a couple of weekend warrior gigs. But Bob was uh, touring with uh, the remnants of Heart for quite some time. Really? Yes. That wasn't the name of the band, the Remnants of Heart, but <laughs> but <laughs> were Anne and Nancy among the remnants? Uh, no, it was the rhythm section. Steve Fawson and Mike DeRozier, literally one of the best rock rhythm sections of all time, okay. and they tour with two younger gals um, who uh, Summer Masick is actually married to Steve Fawson. And Lizzie, uh, who is just Lizzie Damon, is just an incredible multi instrumentalist. And then they uh, they have a guitar player uh, as well, and and they're they're just incredible. And basically, I got asked to sit in with the band. I'm a producer. I'm not a musician. Zip knows this story very well. Uh, we could speak for each other continually if you want to, because that's how you know people are married. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Come yeah, on. he's being kind. He's, you um, know. Something came up this week that I, I really want to ask you about, Bob, because it's uh, not like the first story you told for the first time today, but this one's a little easier, I think, to probably get into. And that is, um, I was led to believe that when Kurt Cobain died, that uh, the electrician or, or some, that may have called your radio station or your show at that time. And I've never known the story. And so what happened? 
We received a call from a super fan of our show, and you have super fans too. You know the kind that sure. are just there for you at all times. Yeah. You wonder, like, do they should they get a life? Sort of like Captain Kirk <laughs> will ask someone to, and they and but they literally would do anything for your show. And there was this guy, Daryl. He was an amazing loser, uh, not a loser, a loser. Like he did the luge where he would go down um, yeah. steep streets at, at ridiculous speeds, and is a daredevil. Uh, and just a great guy. And he was a subcontractor of some sort. And one morning we get the call. It's Daryl. He's got something for you. And I go, well, what is it? And uh, he says he's at Kurt Cobain's house. And they think Kurt Cobain may have killed himself because there's a lot of activity around the garage. And they're cordoning it off. And someone, they know someone, they said someone died in there. He didn't know if it was Kurt Cobain. Uh, but he said, it really looks, you know, very bad. And I'm, I'm thinking about this and you, uh, you make a decision whether you go with it or whether you wait for confirmation. And if you're you know, like today, everybody fights to be first, who calls the state first. And I, and I guess that's always been the way of journalism. Uh, but I remember thinking if I went on with that, and it was wrong. It would be one of the most shameful things I've ever done. I just wouldn't do it. And um, and so I said, yeah, thanks. And we're going to wait and, and hear what happens. And of course, 20 minutes later, he calls our next in-line competitor, The Mountain. And oh, <laughs> no way. And speaks to Marty Reamer, who's, uh, you know, let's put it this way. If I was number four and I needed to get attention, maybe I would have gone with it. Anyway, he spoke to Marty. And, and so The Mountain broke that story. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I could have, and looking back, you know, it was just one of those calls. I would get a call every time I would get a call about deep, dark gossip about somebody in the city who was famous, I would go, nah, I'm not going to, I'm going to wait until, you know, confirmation from a couple of sources. So yes, that morning that did happen. And one of our listeners was there and it was, I mean, it changed, it changed the city. It, um, I hate to say this, but in some ways it cemented grunge as well as classic rock because you had a, um, I don't want to call him a martyr, but you had a guy of immense, incredible talent who couldn't stand the pressure and, and is brilliant and world-class and game-changing as Nirvana was. And they were, um, you know, you lost him just like Jim Morrison at 27 years old. No, I, I remember where I was when I found out I was on Southfield freeway and I heard it on 89 X here. And then I had heard that, that, uh, one of the rock stations and I just assumed it was KSW because you were doing so well out there at that time. But I, I didn't know you were called. And then the other guy, so the other guy broke it. And then were you still on the air when that happened? Let me interject here because I want to say, I love Marty Reamer. He's a great guy. I've always been friendly with him. <laughs> I don't know if this part has ever been taught. Um, uh, what was the question again? Were you still on the air when the other station went with it? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it broke over the next hour and you know, it, it was just, a, it was just the, uh, yeah, it was just a, didn't want to be first with it. Didn't want to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I and, did. uh, but yes, it changed. There was a huge rally, um in seattle center uh courtney spoke we were not big fans of courtney uh, <laughs> but we gave her a break on this day <laughs> and um you had that feeling that you had when you were younger and you would lose you know these big stars 
that um, that art is passion and passion is not always pleasant. You would think that because someone's a rock star, they must be happy, right? You've got all this adoration of fame and, um, you know, there's no. a great, great book, by the way, written by a guy named Charles Cross about um, Kurt Cobain. He's also written autobiographies for uh, for Hart and, and other bands, but he's the definitive thing to read about Kurt if you want to hear all sides of it. You know, I've seen documentaries on Kurt and I've read about Kurt and I find myself not wanting to read more and more because it always feels dark and sad and and I love the music. The music stands up so well. I mean, I look at the streaming world now in terms of classic rock and it fascinates me to see what still is popular, what is a thing now as opposed to then. And Nirvana is still a huge, oh. huge thing, streaming. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say that. this. If you're thinking of cool places to go and travel, you can check Aberdeen, Washington off your list. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like dark, broody places that don't make you feel good about the world. Um, actually, Aberdeen's better now. But, uh, but and there is, a, uh, there is a memoriam park to him there um, on the Wishkaw River bank where he uh, grew up and you can go by his childhood home but you could just sit there and you know and, and imagine uh what it was like to be in that era and in seattle at that time uh grunge or the g word as we call it uh <laughs> grunge was so big that record companies were flying into seattle and signing bands just even you know just to get as many seattle bands as possible and um there was something about the cloudy darkness that breeds serial killers and great dark rock music. <laughs> I wondered, though, you know, when all that was happening, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, um, all Screaming Trees, so many bands blew up at once in, in that town. And our radio station, WRF, we were the type that stayed off that. Oh, no, no, don't play local music. Nobody cares about that. It's bad for ratings and 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 really really wasn't on top of it was ksw were you guys tight with those bands or yeah, you know, yeah. so so Good. there was a scene there was a music scene when i arrived in 1989 and and spike tells a story of going down to uh you know pioneer square and popping his head into a club and seeing alice in chains um wow. there, there was this scene there's a band called the melvins which on my website, I'm going to post this clip of them. That was, I believe, one of Kurt's favorite bands. Yeah. Yes. As legend goes. And I had them at my house play in my garage, uh, a live track for our show. And um, if you listen, listen to that Melvin's track, you can imagine what Kurt was thinking. Like it was an underground dark and it was not that melodic. So it was kind of had elements of punk. Um, and what, Kurt, I believe, did, and the band did, because clearly uh, Dave Grohl was, uh, you know, no pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what that band did is um, take that energy, that uh, counterculture, not trying to have hits, and and come up with melodic lyrics and hooks that became infectious. Uh, sometimes from the first listen, but but with repeated listens, they had obviously a long shelf life as they're you know in the Hall of Fame. And um, but it wasn't just Nirvana. 
it, all of these other bands were developing in, tang in, ta in tandem, uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Of course, we call them the Stone Gossard Pirates. Were, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and so they ended up affecting the whole country with a copycat. Yes. But, but, and I won't call it copycat, but we were all influenced by the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and they were influenced by the great blues guys. So it's not a, it, it's, that's when music is at its best, great artists, and I think we said this about radio too, love and are huge fans of other great artists, and they are inspired to make something brand new that, that just fits the, the mood, the consciousness, the psyche of the times. And uh, so, yeah, so it was, as it was incredible to be in Boston when the cars, the talking heads, Jay Giles, Aerosmith. I mean, I felt like I had nothing to do with any of this, by the way, but I felt like, you know, very blessed and very lucky to experience that in Boston and record Twisted Tunes at Longview Farm where the Rolling Stones hung out. And and then to be in Seattle and see all of this start to happen. We started doing a thing called Live at Bob's Garage. Where yeah. Our, our music director, Kathy Faulkner, would basically say to a band that was coming into town, would you like to do a live broadcast on the radio of three of your songs? And they would say, because they were still poor, some of the ones that weren't poor did say yes. But whether it was a classic rock band like Blue Oyster Cult, and remember, this is before tribal casinos started paying classic rock bands good money mm -hmm. so blue oyster cult because they loved music as much as you love doing your podcast would come to town to play in a room that 300 you know people could fit in this bar called the firehouse and kathy and even then they might not sell tickets so kathy would say uh you know would you uh, or the promotion director would say um would you like to do a, a live at bob's garage and they literally would drive to my house blue oyster cult drove to my house set up in the garage wow Na neighbors would come over and um and they would um play don't fear the reaper godzilla and one other song and we would mix it yeah and it would be, and, and so the next thing that would happen is here's an up-and-coming band called the toadies they have a song called possum kingdom which is one of the great one hit wonder uh, grunge songs of that era. Mm -hmm. And I get a call from them. We're on our way from Portland. They're getting there at 8 a.m. They've only had three hours sleep. And I'm thinking, oh, oh they're going to be burned out. They didn't sound excited about doing it. You know, the record company said, you have to do this Bob's Garage. It's 8 a.m. in North Bend, Washington. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had this feeling like, oh, this is not going to go good. So I called them uh, en route and I, and I said, hey, why don't we meet at the Marti Diner and have breakfast before you do it? Uh, that was the diner made famous in Twin Peaks, the television show. And we sat, we had eggs, we had bacon and we hung out and and. By the time we got to the house, you know, they were on their second wind and we recorded this incredible version of that song. And and so every from the little grunge bands to the big classic rock bands, uh, it was again, once it started, I talked about just being uh, sort of a vessel for this stuff to come through. Once it would start, um, they just kept coming. Randy Bachman, Foghat. Um, and then on the grunge side, Collective Soul and, and a bunch of other bands. And my kids are out there playing, you know, football in the backyard with <laughs> Collective Soul. 
so it was. Uh, are those tracks available? Are, um, are you able to make them available? So part in part to promote without blowing my own horn. Mm -hmm. But I have the horn underneath the desk. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yes, what's what's going up on my website in a day or two, and and let's let's all kiss Dave's ass because he's putting this stuff up there. <laughs> is probably the uh, my favorite twisted tunes and Bob's garages, and then a bunch of air checks from the show. A lot of people never heard the show, by the way, because we're well, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, it just wasn't that easy back in the day. I mean, yeah, when, yeah. when did, uh, when did people start streaming live? I mean, in the two thousands, but I don't think a lot of people listen to, I, I just started streaming radio stations live maybe in the last four or five years. Me too. Me too. And, and, and by the way, streaming took off, podcasting took off. Uh, but you know, I, my number one question when we started podcasting four years ago, I would get is, how do you, how do you listen to a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Along with, what time is it on? Yeah. Ask your granddaughter. <laughs> she'll show you. Um, but now I, I believe that's all, you know, now uh, people, people know the content is, and, and we got trained by the TV. Uh, do you ever, if you watch something live, it's sports probably. Yes. Right? Very little do I watch live now. I'm, I mean, I'm just like a, a 20 year old, I think, in my habits. I stream, <laughs> in my streaming habits, I just don't watch live television anymore. I mean, I'm amazed when I look at the ratings, I go, wow, there's 7 million people watching American Idol live. That's wild. I, I just don't picture people doing that. But I've been recording shows for really uh, probably a couple decades just to save time and watch something before work, for example, in the morning. And you can see a show in 42 minutes instead of an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's a big show, if it's Seinfeld or something, I really want to see it for work. By the way, uh, the way viewing is uh, compartmentalized now and and spread apart like that, it's a lot to do with uh, everything. Um, we have different tiers of being able to afford to watch stuff. I mean, I have all the streaming channels I want, and I know that's a luxury not everyone can afford. And then there are a whole lot of people who work their asses off, go to work every day, come home every night, and they only watch free TV because, you know, a budgetary concern and even a time concern. If you only have a certain amount of time, one or two hours a day and and these uh, these TV shows, I think, are built for the working class. And, you know, um, it's a it's a it's American Idol or it's America's Got Talent. It's a, it's a soap opera, you know, uh, you can get into and follow and get the drama and. You know, I would watch them, except I'm too crowded out with big, huge shows that are produced extremely well, but I get to pay for them. It's like newspapers. Almost nobody, like you subscribe to a few, I subscribe yes. to a few. But the majority of people I know go, I'm not giving J Jeff Bezos $8. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know many people who have as many subscriptions as I do, because yeah, yeah. I, I get uh, Billboard and Rolling Stone, and I pay for that. I don't know why, but I do. Just don't want to. Just don't want to miss anything. Well, <laughs> if there was an article that put me first, I'm going to go back to the newsstand and get the Rolling yes. Stone issue. Bob, um, you don't have to pay for a billboard subscription to see your name. You don't even have to log in. <laughs> <laughs> little, little bit, it's right there. You can see it without paying for it. Oh, that's even better. My wife will appreciate that. By the way, I can send, I can send you a picture. She wants to purge all these unnecessary uh, subscriptions. Well, Drew Lane, this has been just, uh, by the way, this was us interviewing you and you, you turned it about at least, 
at least 50% of the time. And, and I, and I hope, uh, that anyone listening this far obviously appreciates, uh, what you do. Uh, but I would say if you are looking for a morning show that is very similar to ours in some ways, but hosted by this guy, uh, you won't be disappointed. The Drew and Mike show. It should be noted that Mike was your on-air broadcast partner. Yes. And he passed away and you kept the name of the show to honor him, I assume. Yeah, I did. Um, we had started in the podcast in 2016 and, and Mike's health wasn't great. I know that might shock you, Zip. I was just going to say, when did, did you quit smoking finally? I've quit probably five times. Um, I'm currently do smoke, not nearly what I used to smoke, but well, thank God I'm for looking that. to quit yeah. again. Actually, I'm, I actually have a patch on right now. I have. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was just going to say what a good day to ask that question. Yeah. In Detroit, I think. Um, God, everybody smoked Mike except smoked. for Trudy. Mike smoked a lot. He's Mike yeah. smoked three or four packs a day. Um, that's, that's actually not what got him. Um, he, he had multiple, he had some issues related to a motorcycle accident. He was in when he was 22 years old that uh, he oh, never man. rehabbed properly and his leg was bothering him. So he's barely getting around and he just, uh, anyway, yeah, he died in his sleep in 2018. Oh, Come back from uh, when WRF let us go. Um, I did sports radio for two and a half years. Mike was not a sports guy at all. So Mike wasn't doing anything. He was doing a little podcasting, actually. And then when I um, got let go from the sports station, I said, let's let's try a podcast and put the show back together. And Mike did, even though he was only able to do a couple days a week. And so it, people were excited that we were back together and it was going well, I like what you guys are doing. And it was really fun. And then um, and then things got bad uh, health wise. And then Mike passed and it just seemed I, I just couldn't change the name. I certainly couldn't do it then. But um Hey, I really, I really enjoyed this guy. Zip, it's great to see you. You look fantastic. Great. Oh, thank you, man. You know, let me just say, I, I was really honored and very fortunate in my, in my time to work with both of you. You know, seriously, it was always fun. No, I it really was. I had a blast and, um, and it was fantastic. The show you came on in 2016. It really, it was really a fun show. We should do it again. And Bob, you got to come on too, uh, on my show. It would be my pleasure. Drew Lane, folks. The Drew and Mike Show is available on all your podcasting platforms. Great clips on YouTube. Just search Drew and Mike Podcast and you will find it. Drew? Thank you, Bob. Till we meet again. Awesome. Good Cheers. luck. I, I'm really rooting for you, Bob. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll send you the picture. I'll build one. <laughs> <laughs> Without subscribing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>